Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, I hope you've been enjoying and, and been challenged by this Easter Tide series, the series we're calling Personal Jesus. I want to thank Danielle for the beautiful word that she shared last week with us at the park about restoration, about encountering Jesus, letting him bring forgiveness and renewal into our lives. And I also want to encourage you, if you haven't been able to keep up uh, with the teaching or you weren't able to join us in the park, make sure you get the podcast. Make sure that you are uh, diving into these teachings. You know, I've had this sense as your pastor that we're all feeling a little bit weary. I know even setting up for this teaching, setting up the lights and the camera, I'm just muttering to myself, just feeling frustrated. I'm tired of preaching to a camera. And that's such a baseline, such a basic expression of the weariness that I know so many of us are feeling. But, but I had this sense that a lot of us are just feeling a little bit disconnected, a little bit at arm's length from the church, not like God is near. And so for this teaching series, my prayer for us as a people is that we would have a fresh encounter. We would hear a fresh word from the risen Christ that as C.S. Lewis talks about, that we would encounter Christ, not something that resembles him, because that's ultimately what we need. I, I want to encourage you, we will be at the park again next week on May 2nd. And if you're around and you're willing to gather with others, that's a great space to be in. Uh, it's a, we're going to have a joyful time singing our hearts out, opening the scriptures. It's going to be a beautiful time together. So make a plan to be there. Well, today, as we continue this series, Personal Jesus, I want to talk about joy. And I have to be honest, it's, it's sort of a strange time to talk about joy. As I already mentioned, we're in year two of a global pandemic. A lot of us are feeling weary. Joy may not be the first emotion, the first response, the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, this pandemic has killed over half a million people. We're all kind of subtly aware of these numbers. But even as things begin to return to some pre-pandemic levels of normalcy, it seems like other things that we would not want to return to those levels are also accompanying them. You know, I don't know about you, but I've noticed a lot more mass shootings being reported on the news over the past several weeks. And it seems as if as things are opening up, that some of these things, these, these demonic and evil things are coming back. And it seems to me and it saddens me that we lack any resolve collectively or any imagination to pursue a way forward without guns as such a part of our culture. Perhaps you felt some, some measure of relief as the jury delivered the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, being charged with the murder of George Floyd, to see accountability done. And we know that, that, that true justice, especially in the sense of murder, especially in the sense of systemic uh, issues, true justice can only come about by, by a move of God. And so we as a people, we want to be a people who are pursuing this together, who are expressing this locally. And we also want to say, if you're just kind of numb, if you're hurting, even on the other side of the Derek Chauvin trial, I want to just say we're with you. 
want to say we're for you. I want to say that we will do everything in our power as a community to be a people who express the body of Christ, who mourn with those who mourn, as Paul tells us, but also who understand that we can bear witness to a different reality, but it will take a lot of work, a lot of confession. And I want to say that we are committed to this work. No matter what your experience has been over the last uh, year or so, you know, all of this going on just, just highlights even some of the, the things that are always going on. The things in our world that we knew about pre-pandemic, the, the baseline levels of disaster, of poverty, of starvation, of, of child abuse and exploitation that is happening in our world at any given moment. And so to talk about joy might, might almost seem offensive. It might almost seem wrong. Ivan Karamazov in Dostoevsky's classic work centers his critique of Christianity on exactly this tension. How, he asks, can God reconcile a world? How can he even make sense of a world such as our own where there's so much suffering? He, he says, how can there be any harmony, much less any beauty that arises from a world of such unrelenting pain? And this really is the question for us as Christians today. How can we pursue joy when all of these things are going on all around us all the time? Doesn't it require at some level that we just ignore reality? That we shut ourselves off to the world and try to preserve some small personal bubble of serenity? And how does that benefit the wider world? How does that benefit anybody but ourselves? Shouldn't we be people of constant lament, constant grief, sober and brutal about the facts of the world? Now, I don't know if you wrestle with these questions. I know I do. And yet, right there in the words of the New Testament, Jesus, the man of sorrows, the one acquainted with suffering, is profoundly concerned that his followers would be marked by joy. Just a quick survey of some of the texts that we see in the New Testament. John 15 verse 11, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Acts 2 describes the earliest church sharing the table with glad and sincere hearts. Paul prays for the church in Rome that they would be filled with all joy. He highlights joy as one of the fruit of God's Spirit taking root in our lives and describes the paradox of joy as he suffers immensely in 2 Corinthians, yet finds a surprising and surpassing joy in the face of all of his circumstances. Hebrews describes Jesus going to the cross for the joy set before him. James tells believers when we face trouble, to consider them pure joy. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when His glory is revealed. In our teaching text for today, we see the disciples in the upper room. They encounter the risen Jesus. Look at verse uh, 36 of Luke chapter 24. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. 
For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Now, I want to look at this scene to see some of the things about joy that I think are so important as we understand what it means first to have joy and then what it means for us to practice joy. First, we see from this scene that joy is not turning a blind eye to reality, but is having our eyes opened to the fullness of reality. The disciples here in the upper room are mired in fear and doubt, and Jesus responds to them by being present with them fully. Joy is not a denial of the scars and suffering of life, but through the love of God, mysterious and powerful, is an overcoming of those very real experiences. Jesus really suffered on the cross, and yet he really overcame them through the power of God's love. Jesus shows the disciples his hands and his feet as a way of saying, this is what is really real. The nail-scarred hands of the resurrected Christ are the deep artisanal springs of joy. They are the deeper reality of all of our surface experiences of suffering and pleasure. When we experience joy or we experience its absence, Jesus is meeting us there, coming to us with the fullness of himself present and waiting there for us. Jesus meets us there. In him we live and we move and we have our very being. There is no sorrow that he has not overcome. There is no dry and barren place to which his river of living joy cannot reach. Because of Christ's suffering, his resurrection joy is not some ideal or some impossible goal. It is our present because Christ is present at every moment and he is filling all things. So, this is the first truth. Joy is a gift that God has handed to us when he gave the world his son in his great love for each one of us. But even as Jesus presents this new reality to the disciples, look at their response in verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy, they were still disbelieving and still wondering. And he said to them, do you have anything to eat? Friends, joy is not deterred by our doubts, by our unbelief, by our lack of experience of the feelings of happiness. Joy is not even undermined by our sorrow. Joy, as Henri Nouwen writes, is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death, can take that love away. Now one goes on to say, we are inclined to think that when we are sad, we cannot be glad. But in the life of God-centered person, sorrow and joy can exist together. And I think that this begins to address some of our questions that we raised above. How can Christians strive towards joy in a world of suffering? Because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And he bears the scars in his hands and in his feet. We can carry deep sorrow and deep gladness together. And I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, I know, 
The sorrow for us is much more real than the gladness. The things that cause us pain and anguish, the things that cause us heartache seem much more real, much more acute, and much more present than the good things that are happening around us all the time. Pastor and theologian Tish Warren writes, Each day of our lives holds relentless beauty, mercy, grace upon grace, Babies are born healthy every day. Marriages recover from the depths of contempt. Many, not all of us, wake each day with bodies that work. We can do good work, brew tea, take a walk, breathe autumn air, crunch leaves beneath our feet. We laugh, we dance, we heal. Cancer goes into remission, amen. People recover from illness. Mangoes grow, dead coral reefs slowly regenerate. These things happen and they happen by grace. They are gifts from God that we are called to receive with open hands. Now, Tish is not saying, oh, look, everything is okay because good things happen. No, listen. What she's saying is that there is a solid joy that is being presented to us, but we have to have our eyes awakened to it. In in John's gospel, Jesus breathes on his disciples and tells them, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we have talked about, as we talked about in week one of this series about peace, as we talked about in week two about restoration, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is to receive the fruit of God's Spirit. But like breathing, this is not a one-time event. In every moment we inhale, we have to open ourselves anew to the love of God. And the spiritual masters throughout the ages describe spiritual practices almost like an iron lung. They're they're like trying to train our lungs to work the way that they were supposed to work all along, to begin to breathe without us having to think about it. And, And I want to, as we approach this joy as a gift, to invite you into a couple of practices that cultivate joy in our lives. Because as we begin to pursue joy, what we find is that joy is not a feeling. Joy is not something that automatically comes to us, but is a gift that we awaken our hearts to by the love of God, by His grace. Now, the the first practice is a recognition of the reality of joy, that it is a gift. Now, when someone in our world gives you a gift, we turn to that person and we say, thank you. And this is not just acknowledging that that person was the one who gave you the gift. It's certainly not less than that, but it's so much more. To say thank you is to complete the cycle of the gift. It's to return the blessing of the gift with the blessing of thanksgiving. And much of the New Age spirituality, sort of yoga philosophy in our world, is actually hitting upon something deeply true about what it means to be human. We need, as human beings, to cultivate gratitude. Gratitude brings about beauty and goodness in our lives. And many people, whether they claim the name of Jesus or not, are recognizing this this fundamental element about what it means to be human, are extending gratitude. And many of them are extending it to an unknown God, or you know, as, as is popular in our culture to say, thank you, universe. 
And part of our joy as Christians, part of our mission as Christians is to put a name on this unknown force, this unknown God, as Paul describes in Acts 17 on Mars Hill. He says, you know that unknown God, that innate sense that you have to give thanks? Let me tell you about that God. And we as Christians get to say, we are people of Jesus of Nazareth. Here is what he has done for the world. Here is the good news that that we get to proclaim to you. And when we extend our gratitude as a people towards Jesus, we preach the gospel of God's goodness towards us. Tish Warren again says, to choose joy is to see all existence as a gift, which is why the practice of joy is inseparable from the practice of gratitude. The practice of joy, she says, is inseparable from the practice of gratitude. Gratitude gives birth to joy because gratitude teaches us to receive life as a gift in the moment that we're in, regardless of what lies ahead. Henri Nouwen writes, It is the truly converted life in which God has become the center of all. There, gratitude is joy, and joy is gratitude, and everything becomes a surprising sign of God's presence. Another thing that a lot of Eastern philosophy grasps and that has seeped its way into Western popular culture is that gratitude is deeply intertwined with being present. This is why yoga and forms of embodied meditation often bring people such a sense of peace and of joy because people are present and they're expressing gratitude. And it turns out this is deeply fundamental to what it means to be human. And I say this from my own experience. I struggle for joy when I struggle to be present. Richard Foster says, distraction is the primary spiritual problem in contemporary culture. Frankly, when we are perpetually distracted, we are unable to discern the voice of the Lord. Furthermore, most of us, our outlet of distractions is our phone, which is usually social media, right? And studies have shown how increased social media usage tends to lead to increased dissatisfaction with life. And this has so many facets to it, but really it's what we're cultivating when we distract ourselves endlessly is the opposite of joy. And one thing I think about is, is the allure of social media is that it always promises that we can be somewhere else that there's something else much more interesting going on somewhere else, that there's someone else much more interesting than those people that are right in front of us. And listen, nobody on their proverbial deathbed is going to be thinking, I wish I watched more Instagram stories, or I wish I spent more time on Twitter. We'll be thinking about the people that God gave us in our lives, our friends and our family. And again, I say this from my own experience. This is this is from my life. It's very hard to be joyful when you refuse to be present in the body that God's given you, when you refuse to be present in the moment, in the space and time, and you refuse to be present to those around you. And so, part of cultivating gratitude and thus receiving the gift of joy is cultivating attention and presence. Listen, I I have no problem with social media. I actually quite enjoy it. 
But I know that for my own life, unless I am intentional about my engagement, unless I uh, let it occupy the place that it should occupy and not give it more space than it should have, unless I limit my time, you know, as with anything that is sort of good in moderation but bad in excess, unless I have these kind of conscious approaches to it, that it will uh, take on a life of its own, that it will lead to distraction, that it will lead to a sense of, of almost being disheveled, that it will lead to dis- dissatisfaction. And so I, I just want to encourage us, presence as a way towards gratitude. God hearing, uh, God getting the first piece of our lives in the morning, you know, the first thing that we pursue when we wake up, not picking up our phone, is actually a spiritual practice. And so I just want to encourage you to be intentional about your usage and uh, be honest with yourself and maybe those around you, how they can help you and cultivate a sense of awareness and practice. Now, Several times in Jesus' last discourse with his disciples, in John chapters 13 through 17, he gives them instructions and he promises them that he will make our joy complete. And Jesus is telling the disciples about the life that is to come for them after he has poured out his life on the cross, after he's overcome on the grave and then given to each one of us his spirit. Look at John 15 as an example, beginning in verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Now, there's this incredible sequence here in John 15, and we're only going to scrape the surface and survey it at a very high level. But quickly, Jesus says, as the Father loves Jesus, so he has loved us. I mean, that is incredible in and of itself. Jesus has invited us into the wonder and the extravagance of the triune God, Father, Spirit, and Son, and their interactions with one another. He says that we continually plant ourselves in this love by keeping Jesus' commandments, His words of truth and life to us. And then He said that everything He has said to us, He has said in order to make our joy complete. And then he moves again to commandment. He says, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. This forms in what biblical studies circles is called a chiastic structure. Look at the pattern. We'll put it for you on the screen here. There's commandment, there's joy in the middle, and there's commandment on the outside. They form kind of a a, a sandwich that's trying to say like joy is the focus of this teaching. But the way to that focus, the way into this central part, the way to the core is through commandment. What John 15 is telling us is that joy is found in obedience to Christ, in apprenticing our lives to Him. The early church experienced great joy not because everything always went well for them, 
much to the contrary, but because they found that in their experiences of obedience, which often led to suffering, that deep spring of joy was deeper than their pain, was deeper than the forces that opposed them. And one of the reasons that many of us experience an absence of joy in our lives is because we are trying to just sign Jesus up for what Alan Mann calls Project Self. We want to build our kingdom and we want to give Jesus a little room in the house. And the thing we are most invested in is our kingdom, our own self, and we're trying to fit Jesus into that. And throughout the scriptures, we see that the people who had the most difficulty relating to and understanding Jesus were those who were trying to use him to justify their own lives or to enlist him as an endorsement for their own personal project. It just doesn't work. And for many of us, we've started with self-fulfillment or self-aggrandizement or building up Project Self and trying to say, okay, Jesus, you can have this little piece. But Jesus constantly tells us that to follow him is to enter into a costly obedience that leads us to great joy and that he promises us that when we seek him first, all of those things that we think we want will be thrown by the wayside and all of those things that we really want that our souls ache for will be added onto our lives. And I want to say one last thing about joy. Joy takes courage. Courage to suffer. Courage to feel a fool because ultimately joy is not a feeling but a practice of defiance against the world as it seems to be. Joy, as Nowen says to us, is grounded in God's love for us. And God's love in the suffering of Jesus the Messiah is stronger than the power of death. To sign up for joy is to sign up to be vulnerable. To sign up to, to, to question in the darkest of nights. To sign up for joy is to say that there is a hope. A hope that stands against the way things appear. A faith that is an assurance of things not seen. And so I want to say, Ecclesia, we live in the time in between. The liminal time between the already and the not yet. Weeping will endure for the night. The last enemy, Paul says, to be defeated is death. But joy will come in the morning. This is God's promise to us. It has been vouchsafed, secure, in His secure and confident hands, in His nail-scarred hands. Jesus on the cross shows us the deep mystery of joy. If you watch Jesus on the cross, if you ponder those passages, Jesus isn't happy-go-lucky on the cross. That's not the kind of joy that God has called us to. He cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there is through it all, through all of the suffering and the agony, through all of the God forsakenness, through it all, there is a deep and underlying joy, a spring of joy as the Son of God gives His life for the life of the world. And that when we follow our crucified Jesus, when we follow Him to the places that seem like they offer nothing but despair, we find a joy that, that comes in the face of whatever heartache, pain, or loss we can experience. And I say this, and, and I know this is going to be true throughout this series. It is a proclamation of faith for me to say this to you. 
that there is a joy that waits for you because I know some of the pain that so many of you have endured. I know what's been done to you. I know what's happened in this world that has broken you in two. And yet still, I promise, not because I have any ability to promise these things, but because I get to proclaim the beauty of this gospel to you, that there is a God that has a joy for you, that stands against every suffering, every agonizing, every heartache. In Ecclesia, in this broken and mutilated world, let us be a people who cultivate joy through gratitude, through presence and obedience. And for those of you who, who maybe are, are hearing my voice and you're saying, I, I've been without joy for as long as I can remember. I've never known joy. Can I just tell you, there is a God who loves you, who gave himself to you completely to make your joy complete. And he is like a father right now, running down the road, tears in his eyes, arms open wide, rejoicing, waiting to invite all of heaven to a party to welcome you home. And all you have to do is receive him. There is a joy that awaits. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. All we have to do is open our eyes and receive the gift of His presence, which is the gift of His joy, a complete and full joy. May we receive Him today, whether we've walked with Him for years or whether we've never heard Him call us by our name. There is a joy that awaits you. Receive Him. Grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.